Welcome to Horror Struck. What's up, horror fans? Welcome back to Horror Struck, a horror commentary podcast where we look at the genre through the lens of a diehard fan and of a scaredy cat. I am Riley Ott. I am joined by my co-host and best friend, Cecilia Dalbert. This week, we took a look at the 1936 classic Dracula's Daughter, directed by Lambert Hillier. Spoiler warnings for Dracula's Daughter. There will be many spoilers. Oh, and I guess for Dracula, too. But if you don't know how Dracula ends... I mean, at this point, the story's like 200 years old, right? If you don't know how it ends, it's your fault. How's it end? That guy stakes him, right? Yeah, yeah. Stakes him. Well, that's kind of the fun thing about Dracula's daughter is it quite literally takes place right as the 1931 Dracula ends. Yeah, there was just some dead guy on the stairs. and They're like, what's going on here? And I was like, I don't know what is going on here because I did not watch Dracula before I turned on Dracula's daughter. Well, I rewatched it for the pod. I had seen it once before, but it'd been a really long time. We'll talk about it later, but I absolutely love how just insane Van Helsing seems. I thought he seemed pretty rational because I knew he was right. Do we need to refer to him by what they actually call him in this movie? So you know how I thought it was a typo on IMDb? Nope, they all call him Von Helsing in this movie. Because he's German, right? He's from Amsterdam. But his name is Van Helsing. It's Van Helsing in the book. It's Van Helsing in every other movie except this one. Okay, and I know it couldn't have been like a, they couldn't get the rights for it or something because whatever Bram Stoker did. I think it was just lazy. Well, there was something that Bram Stoker forgot to do, so it was basically just public domain for Dracula because they, I think, were, like, talking to his widow, and she's like, no, I don't want you guys to adapt this. And they were like, well, we're gonna anyway, because legally we're allowed to. It seemed like a lot of rights going back and forth. Bram Stoker's widow had approved MGM to make it, so they had the rights originally to make Dracula's daughter. They were adapting Bram Stoker's short story which was called Dracula's Guest. I, essentially, MGM got the rights from Bram Stoker's Widow, but the only reason they got the rights was because they knew they could sell it to Universal for a lot of money because they would want to make a sequel from Dracula. And so they'd sold the rights to Universal. Wow, sounds pretty scummy. Eh. Ain't that just the biz? I don't know. Everyone's terrible. Do you remember how when Fox was still its own company, they made that really bad Fantastic Four because they didn't want to lose the rights? Which Fantastic Four? The most recent one. Okay, yes. The earlier ones are like bad, but they're like of their time, so it's fine. The one that was most recently released, Fan Four Stick, it was just bad overall because there's a lot of studio interference. They had to reshoot half the movie. Oh yeah, that's why it like took forever to come out. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, I was bringing it up because that was the deal that MGM made with Universal, that they had until 35 to make an adaptation, but then they gave them a little extra time. When they started filming Dracula's Daughter, the script was not complete. Oh, all right. You know what? That makes sense. Because they didn't want to lose rights. It seemed a little disjointed. But yeah, we'll talk about that later. Let's just do a little catch up up top. So what's happening? Are you watching anything fun? Reading anything fun? What's new. Sorry, me and this dog are in a staring contest. He wants up growling. He's just sitting there staring at me and growling. What did I do to you? I really haven't done anything. I read a book called Ring Shout, I think. 
The author's name was P. J. L. A. Clark. I could be saying that wrong. It was good. It was really interesting. It's a horror book. I don't know exactly what year it was based in. I'm pretty sure it's based in like a like maybe Prohibition times in oh shoot where were they were they in Louisiana they must have been I think they were in New Orleans basically it's this group of women who are hunting Ku Klux Klan members yeah but the Ku Klux Klan people are actually like monsters inside of the white people's bodies and they have some way of like seeing that they're Ku Kluxes which is what the monsters were called. <laughs> That's great. I love it. It was really good. I don't want to say much else. It's very short, so not a whole lot happens. So all of it's kind of spoilery. Yeah, it was written really well. There's a lot of action sequences in it, which I kind of zoned out a little during, but that's just because of my preferences. But otherwise, it was really good. It made me cry like multiple times. What have you been doing, watching, listening to, reading, whatever? I read all of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark because I finally got the audiobook, and that was good. Oh, fun. What's your favorite story? I'm going to read it probably starting tonight. Harold is really good. With the scarecrow? Yeah, I really like Harold. It's just so creepy. There's a lot of really, really good stories. I love the whole, like, the ghost got in my car and then I got to where they wanted me to take them and they disappeared. It's a story? That's crazy. Just call a taxi. Ghost sounds like an asshole. Well, and then that person, like, goes into the house and they're like, oh, that was my daughter. She's been dead for 30 years. She died on her way home. Oh, that's kind of sad. And then you're like, oh, I, I drove her home. She actually made it this time, so maybe now she's in heaven. Oh, there's one about these parents that decide to get their son, I think it's a son, a souvenir when they're in Mexico and they take this hairless dog home with them and then at the end do you want me to spoil it yeah go ahead uh it turns out to not be a dog it just turns out to be a really big sewer rat and he has rabies (laughs) i think i remember that from like when we were kids and the other kids would read the book i'm pretty sure i know all of these stories already yeah i just would like to actually experience them how they're written because i'm sure they're creepy it's really good do you think my dog's just an overgrown sewer rat sometimes i think he kind of looks like one possibly he's got hair though i would have a lot of uh, mistrust in your vet if your vet hasn't noticed yet because that's how they find out they take it to the vet and the vet's like well good news and bad news i feel like my vet would just be like yeah we just won't tell you and that way we can charge you a bunch of money oh that's funny um i recently watched his house on netflix we might review that at some point because i really really liked it five out of five for me i loved it it was really good yeah there's a lot to talk about i watched that with ryan on halloween and we both loved it I finally started playing Limbo again. I said I was going to buy Limbo and Inside, the games, and I finally did it. How is it? I've never played Limbo. I really like it. It's fun. It's just like a puzzle strategy game, but you're like a little guy stuck in Limbo. There's like a girl at the beginning and you're trying to get back to her. I'm pretty sure you're like siblings and you have died and you're stuck in limbo and now you gotta like go meet back up with your... I can't remember if she's alive or dead at the end. But it's sad and it's good and it's simple. I like it a lot. I dig some sad and good. Yeah. It's cute. That's all I got. All right, you want to talk about this movie? Yeah. Oh, I guess leading into it, uh, happy Pride Month. Oh, whoa, happy June, future us. <laughs> yeah, all this month we're going to be doing Pride movies, except for Conjuring 3. I'll try to find an angle for it. Which could be super gay. Well, we haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come out. Who says it's not about a bunch of gay ghosts? Or demons. Gay demons, gay ghosts. 
maybe Lorraine Warren has a bisexual phase that we didn't know about. I don't know. It could be about anything. <laughs> oh, so many options. We'll make something up after we see it. There's got to be someone who works on the like crew or something that's out and proud. Yeah, James Wan, you're gay now. I don't know if you are or not, but you are now. He has a girlfriend. Well, maybe he's also got a boyfriend. He could be bi. Who knows? Yeah, we'll figure it out. For our first week, we decided to watch... The 1936, Dracula's Daughter. How did you like this movie? What did you think? When we talked about this movie last week and you told me there was going to be some lesbian subtext in it, I was excited. And then I watched the film and I realized that this is the LaCroix of lesbian subtext films. <laughs> like there's a hint of it in there if you look real hard. <laughs> yeah. But I want more. And the reason is because of the Hayes Code. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. We need to remake this movie and make it super gay, which I'm pretty sure they've already done. Yeah, I watched a bunch of videos about the Hayes Code. Like I knew a little bit about it. I watched more videos on it. And apparently there were a lot of movies that were kind of leaning more into straight out, like with lack of a better word, like gayness. I don't, I don't know how to phrase it. Like more portrayal of gay characters. But then the Hayes Code came around and essentially for anyone who doesn't know, the Supreme Court essentially came out and said that films did not qualify as freedom of speech or had the protections of freedom of speech in the, the 19 teens. To beat the government to the punch, the film industry decided to enact their own set of guidelines and codes to censor themselves called the Hayes Code. There's a whole bunch of stuff in it. It's the reason why Ricky and Lucy were in separate beds and I love Lucy. There's a lot of weird stuff to it. Although they didn't explicitly say no gay can't be gay. I can't remember the exact phrasing of it. Sexually like perverse or something. Essentially they said it without saying that like you can't say a character is gay in your movie. And because of that that's how we got a lot of the gay movie stereotypes because the filmmaker still wanted to tell you the character was gay without being able to tell you the character was gay. The Hays Code is very interesting because it really did bring about a lot of the tropes in queer movies that we still see today, like the barrier gays thing where if you're gay, you do not get a happy ending. Most of the time you just end up dead as a result of your gayness. And specifically with this movie, we've got that and we've also got the whole predatory lesbian or queer woman trope because basically under the Hays Code, they have said that quote unquote deviant characters must not be made sympathetic or be rewarded in any way just kind of spilled over up into today's media. And the Hays Code only lasted for, what, a little over 30 years? Up until I'm pretty sure they just started ignoring it. And, um, oh shoot, what's that movie called? The Blowout movie came out. It was just super sexual and they were ignoring everything, but it was a smash hit. Yeah. So they were all like, okay, it's fine. The Hays Code ran from 1934 to 1968. And it's crazy to think, like, how many years out we are from the Hays Code. Gay representation in movies, it's a weird um, amalgamation of steps to get to, like, queer representation. It's so weird, because we have the Hays Code, so you're coding. That happens for a long time. We have queer baiting. We have queer catching. Maybe next we'll have representation. One can hope. Even just within the past, like, 20 years of film, there are, like, off the top of my head, I can think of, like, five 
examples of just subtext and like queer baiting of things that I think most recently we've got like Killing Eve where the creators have come out and been like oh they're not gonna be gay together and I'm like this is overtly one of the most queer relationships I have ever seen how the fuck are you telling me that these women are not going to end up together it's all very frustrating sorry I started thinking about Killing Eve and got really upset even though I really like that show oh no it's alright at least the good thing is with the newer generation coming up behind it's just more natural to them like yeah gay people exist it's not just something that you're introduced to they're like being raised with it so I think it's only something that's going to increase in visibility where you're going to see more queer representation I agree all of the movies that I have seen that are like about Gen Z like high schoolers now the group of friends have all been very diverse I don't know if that is pandering or if I don't know if people are finally like well these people exist so there's no reason for them to not be like black brown gay trans disabled whatever because you know people are in real life yeah so I think we are going in a really good direction I think the Hayes Code definitely set us back but I also think that it sort of made filmmaking and getting around those rules a little more creative so it's it's very interesting on both ends of the spectrum I feel like it would have been interesting to see where films would have gone without the Hayes Code but part of me also wonders would the government have stepped in if they decided not to regulate themselves probably because it seemed like they were pretty much posed to do it which is why they enacted the code from what i learned is that morocco movie came out i wish i could remember the director's name but it towed the line so much and it had like the first on-screen lesbian kiss that i think once that movie came out they realized if we do not step in and change these rules the government is going to exactly one of the biggest things i got from watching the videos on the Hayes Codes that didn't deal with like gay representation was the fact that the reason we had so many westerns was because there was something in the Hayes Code that if you were showing modern times crimes always had to be punished but westerns weren't set in the present time so they didn't have to abide by the same set of rules which is why they made so many westerns. That makes sense though if it's set in a lawless land you would have to portray that honestly, I guess. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Cowboys are all gay. I just found that so fascinating. Yeah, that's essentially why we picked this film as our first film for Pride Month. I feel like it's one of the earlier Hayes Code films that did the subtext, and apparently the subtext was going to be even more, but they had to censor it even more down from what it was originally going to be. There's really only that one scene in this. I was expecting... I think there's two scenes. Well, I think there's that one scene that we'll talk about and I think throughout the film there's something that the main character keeps saying that I think is also supposed to be metaphorical. The scene with Lily that is blatant. Mm -hmm. For me there was that scene at the end before Jeffrey gets to the castle where Zaleska is like hovering over Janet that I was like are they gonna kiss? Ooh. (laughs) I wish they would have. Um, They were both smoking hot. They're so hot. Let's talk about this really quick. Yes, please. I understand why, because, you know, sexism. But all the male actors in the 30s, for the most part, fucking ugly as shit. But all the ladies, smoking hot. And I told you this already, but I realized that when I rewatched Casablanca recently, Humphrey Bogart is a great actor, but he's a little bug-eyed freak. (laughs) He's so ugly. Do you know the end of Casablanca was changed because of the Hays Code? That would make sense for the time period. What was the end originally supposed to be? Because she's married 
married, Mm -hmm. there's no way they could have ended up together because that's adultery. So (gasps) if it wasn't for the Hayes Code, they would have ended up together at the end. But they couldn't have it happen because she was married. So they had to sadly depart. So in a way, that's one movie that the Hayes Code, I think, actually helped. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's very strange that these rules were put in place basically to be like, you guys are being deviants. Stop it. We want a good Christian, wholesome... Stop it. Media friendly vibe, but that bittersweet ending is it's what makes that movie. I can't imagine that movie ending differently. Casablanca is probably a perfect film. There's nothing wrong with it except for Humphrey Bogart being fucking gross. He's just not a handsome man. He's not. Like he's a good actor. No, he's but great. He looks like he ran into a wall, and his little eyeballs just popped out with his face. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. I feel bad for roasting him. Ingrid Bergman, oh, she is she's so hot. So hot. So Dude, hot. So is every single woman in this movie. Gloria Holden. Oh, oh my, my god, god Janet. she's hot. Janet. Gloria Holden. The woman Janet. who plays Lily. Marguerite Churchill. That's who plays Janet. Beautiful. Yeah, the woman who plays Lily. Beautiful. I can't stand it. Every single man in this movie was so ugly. The man who plays Jeffrey, when <laughs> you see him at first, he's wearing a hat. I was like, uh, okay, he's just a normal looking guy. For whatever reason the second he takes that hat off hideous i didn't recognize him to be the same person (laughs) i didn't either i was like oh that must be a butler or something the pacing in this movie was really bizarre too just while we're talking about things up front yeah because it's so short so i expected it to almost be paced like like an hour-long tv show it was like a play they had shortened a play and had all of these disjointed scenes where they introduce the characters really fast and what's going on really fast and then just kind of snap back to whatever was going on before it's like this this does not work well a lot of it has to do with just the era it's made in i feel like movies have evolved so much since then Movies back in the 30s, they're just paced differently for the most part. This movie felt long. I watched the original Dracula and they're both still good and you can see how they influenced other things in cinema. They don't have a modern sensibility of pace to them. So sometimes I'm just like, why does it just feel like it's taking forever? I paused the movie 45 minutes in and when I got back from whatever I was doing, I did not want to restart it because I felt like I was watching so much or that I had been watching it for so long. Mm -hmm. But I was exactly halfway through the movie. The movie's only 70 minutes long. So it should have been something really quick. And I think we both agree on this. I wanted more of Zaleska in it, of Dracula's daughter. I thought she was a pretty interesting character. And it's not that she wasn't in it a lot. And Jeffrey and Janet, their squabbling back and forth was really funny. But it's weird to say, but I'm like, they could have just gotten rid of Van Helsing in this Dracula movie. (laughs) Every time it went to him and like the commissioner, I was like, boring, skip ahead. I think if they were doing a direct sequel, because like you said, this film takes place minutes after the end of Dracula. Yeah. I think they could have wrapped up Van Helsing or Von Helsing's storyline within the first five to ten minutes and then moved on to this completely separate story. They could have just been like, oh yeah, he's going to trial and now here's the like detective on the case and we'll just move on to this and we don't need to have this wrapped up. It's not like he needs to tell the characters how to kill vampires because it's not even them who ends up killing her in the end. It's a disgruntled worker. Well, and that even could have been the first five minutes is like, Jeffrey gets there, they talk to Van Helsing, he's like, okay, here's how you kill a vampire, I've got to go back to like, my own country, 
because I have to do this trial now because I essentially murdered a man. Peace out, bye. And that could have just been it. We really didn't need him. I really like the actor. I like the character, but I think it was completely unnecessary for this story. A movie called Dracula's Daughter should have more of Dracula's daughter in it. We don't even meet her until the first, like, what, she's maybe introduced like 20 minutes in or like 15 minutes in? I think it might be like 10 minutes in. I think it just feels long. That could be it too. I understand why they didn't take Van Helsing out because I'm sure the huge fans of Dracula would have had an uproar if they had taken Van Helsing out of it because he's a big character in the first movie. Well then go see a movie titled Van Helsing, not Dracula's Daughter. I don't remember that movie being very good. Oh yeah, there's a movie called Van Helsing, isn't there? Yeah, it's got Hugh Jackman in it. Why? Talking about more positives though, I just love how these old black and white monster movies are shot and lit. I just, I love the gothic sensibility of it. I 100% agree. I don't know why going into the movie, I was like, oh, it's an old monster movie. It's going to be super bad looking. And I was pleasantly surprised. There are a lot of shots. I was like, this looks really cool. Like the shadows on... Zaleska? Zaleska. Count Zaleska. The the shadows on her face in one of the scenes. It's like, this is a gorgeous shot. This movie looks great. I love the way it's shot. I love the atmosphere. I really like the music. I think it works really well for the movie. I agree. And the music was very in my face that I actually recognized, <laughs> oh, this score is really cool because it was very loud. Some of the acting I don't think holds up, but also some of the acting, I think the style of acting was very different in the 30s because you're kind of going from the silent era right into the talkies. So there's still a lot of that big movements, big gestures, dramatic faces. And I think some of that actually works for this movie. Like the cops at the very beginning were so funny because of how extra they were being. I want to know, are these bumbling cops what originated the bumbling cop trope in horror movies? These two men? Probably. Maybe. I, I don't know. Should we write a dissertation about it? It just made me laugh. I was like, of course, every horror movie has to have its bumbling cops in it. That's a really good point. Every single movie we've watched that has had cops in it, I've just been furious with them, except Psycho, (laughs) because he's only there for a second. Every other movie, I'm like, why are the cops so fucking dumb? We could have had this solved an hour ago. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to talk about up top. I think we could probably just jump into the movie. Let's jump into it. It's nice and quick. Let's just fly right through it like a bat. Yeah. Like Dracula. <gasps> so, Something's wrong with me today. So, yeah. So the movie picks up right as the original Dracula ended. And the way the original Dracula ended is they kill Dracula. I think the cops start to show up and Van Helsing turns to Mina and Jonathan and he's like, you guys should leave. And they're like, we don't want to leave you alone here like to take the rap. And he's like, I don't care. You guys, you guys leave. I'm fine. So they leave. And then that's essentially where the movie picks up is that two cops are walking through the manor so funny they spot the dead body and look oh no and then Van Helsing is there I understand that he's not talking nonsense he knows what he's talking about he's supposed to be a smart man but he seems so insane in this beginning scene because yeah he points out like the one guy goes in the other room he's like there's a dead guy in here with a stake through his heart and he's like yeah I know I killed him oh my god He's like, you murdered this guy? And he's like, can you murder someone who's already been dead for 500 years? I guess that's really not how you should start this interaction. You should be like, he was a vampire. But that still would make you sound absolutely bonkers. 
Like, I'm on his side because as an outsider, I'm like, yeah, he was a vampire. I know that this is all real going into the movie and, like, their universe. Yeah. How do you sound less crazy, though? His exact quote, though, when the cop comes back from the other room is just like, I wonder who murdered that guy in there. Van Helsing literally says, I did it. (laughs) It was me. (laughs) He seems so insane. Um, I know he's not. Then again, (laughs) maybe that is a good defense. If, like, he didn't lie about it, they can't say he changed the story because just right off the bat, he's been like, yeah, I did it. I'm not crazy. He was just a vampire. He gets arrested, obviously. He said, I did it. If this is not a sign of white privilege, I don't know what is because he's arrested for murder, a murder he's confessed to, and he's just casually sitting at Scotland Yard in the commissioner's office, no chains, no handcuffs, just talking about vampires. Yeah, I think if he was anyone other than an old white man, he would have been, like, locked up. I think he knows the commissioner, too. It seems like they know each other. I don't know if they ever clarified that, but it seems like they know each other. Oh, yeah. What was his? I think Humphrey was his last name. Oh, I've got Basil. Is that someone else? I think it's Basil Humphrey. I think that's his full name. Oh, that makes sense. So... Our main lead male protagonist, his name is Jeffrey Garth. And I got really confused because the first half of the film, they call him Jeffrey. And then for whatever reason, in the second half of the film, they start calling him by his last name, Garth. And so I just assumed I got his name wrong. Those are two really different names that if you had mixed them up, I would have been very confused. I thought I just lost my mind. I wonder if, because when we first see him, it's mostly the ladies talking to him. Like it's mostly Janet and him talking. So maybe she just calls him by his first name and everyone else is like detective or commissioner Garth or whatever he was. Oh, I was talking about the psychologist, our lead, uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Garth, the ugly man. They're all ugly. That's dumb. Our lead male protagonist who, for whatever reason, Zaleska is just like, you should be with me forever. Well, I think it's because she thought he would fix her. It was very sad. The commissioner tries to be like, hey, the vampire defense is not going to work. You should really, like, we should get you a lawyer. And he's like, nah, nah, I'm going to prove that vampires are real. Like, get me a a psychiatrist to defend me in court. I kind of get it because he's like, oh, if I can prove my sanity, then they'll have to believe me. But you would also have to prove your sanity and prove that vampires are real. And that just sounds like you're putting a lot on your plate. Sounds like he's putting a lot on the psychiatrist's plate who doesn't know anything about the law. Yeah, you should probably have a lawyer and a psychologist, psychiatrist. Just get all of them. So he pretty much just tells him, I'm not getting a lawyer. I'm going to get a psychiatrist. In the meantime... We've got the dumb cops again. They're watching over the bodies until Scotland Yard can get there to pick them up, I guess. This scene is really, it's it's so funny because the one is like, I'm going to go meet the guy. And he's like, I don't want to be left here alone with these bodies. Why did this man become a cop? He's so afraid of everything. The higher up guy gives him a gun and is just like, you know, here you go in case they get up and start walking. They might. Right as the higher up guy leaves, we meet Dracula's daughter, Zaleska, for the first time. She walks in. She's like, hey, I'm here because I heard Dracula's dead. I'm here because I want to see his body. And the guy's like, you're not allowed to do that. But she's like, look at my ring. (laughs) Isn't it shiny? And hypnotizes him. Which was really interesting. I thought that was an interesting take for her because Dracula is all about the eyes. And although she is also, it's an interesting sign of femininity that she's using this piece of jewelry to also kind of do her bidding. Oh, that is interesting. It also makes her seem more like unassuming. I didn't even put that together because, 
you know, she's a woman. Yeah. Look at my fancy jewels. I'm frivolous and all I care about is jewelry because I'm a lady in the 30s. That's smart. There are some interesting differences between her as a vampire and Dracula as a vampire. The fact that for the most part, like she doesn't seem to want to kill her victims. Lily ends up dying, but she doesn't kill her. Whereas Dracula totally would have just, you would have been dead. Didn't care. And I think that has to do with her guilt. Like, she doesn't want to hurt anybody, but she can't help herself. It's her internalized homophobia. She doesn't want to be gay and seduce these sexy ladies, but she has to. She can't fight the urge. She can't. She's just a sad lesbian vampire. It's like alcoholism. Oh, I think they compare it to that in the film, too. Yeah, we'll get to it. Zaleska is there to steal Dracula's body, which she does. She hypnotizes the one cop. The higher-up cop comes back with the guy from Scotland Yard. They discover the body is missing, and the cop that was left there is, like, in a daze. And then we hear a wolf. Oh! Who was howling? Was it the wolf man? No, vampires can turn into wolves. Oh, yeah, you told me that, and I always forget, because I I just know they can turn into bats. Oh, wait! This was in the, the Fright Night movie. That's what it was. It was, um, Ed turns into a wolf after they, yeah, evil. Evil, yeah. Along with a bat, they also transform into bats. I love the bats in the first Dracula movie. They're just like a bat in a string. I don't know why. It's just so charming. That sounds cute. Like a little kid made a craft and they put it in the movie. Yeah. Zaleska has a funeral for her vampire father. I have a question. Yes. Where did Zaleska come from? How does Dracula have a daughter? Because he's not married. That was the whole thing that, like, he wants to steal Jonathan's wife. But they don't have a baby because he dies. I wonder if it's... Because she's 100 years old. You find that out at the end because they say something at the end like, oh, well, she's already been dead for 100 years. Bum, bum, bum. Did he have a baby with a lady and it was her? Or did he turn someone and was like, you're my daughter now? And she was like, okay. Yeah, I think it's more about the intention of when he turns somebody like what his real intention is when he's making another vampire because in the first one he has the brides the brides of dracula he's got three ladies who are just like always in white flowy clothes and are there to service him i guess i don't know they just kind of like walk around in the first movie there's renfield who is the guy who's dead at the the bottom of the stairs in this one he's essentially like a servant he comes to his castle in transylvania and dracula bites him and turns him into like this crazy servant who is obsessed he just wants to help dracula in any way he can so i wonder if it is something where he turns leska and was just like your purpose to be here is to be my to be my family because i'm very sick of people obsessing over me i don't know i mean i feel like that would get tiring after a while right if everyone's just praising you all the time and now he's just like you're my angsty teenage daughter (laughs) yes i love that i do really like zaleska as a character i feel like they'd let her character kind of drop off at the end yeah i was pretty pissed at the end with not only her death which that happens at the end of a monster movie but She seems to be living in this world of gray up until the end where she's just like, Jeffrey, come with me. And he's like, no. And she's like, nah, I will make you come with me. I'm completely evil now. Yeah, she turns really evil really fast. And she has been trying to be good for the whole rest of the movie. It's it's bizarre. Like we said at the beginning, it's because of the Hayes Code and because you're not allowed to have any sort of sympathy or reward for these gay characters being gay. So I, I get it, but it also kind of ruined the movie for me. They had a lot of troubles getting a script 
through. Not only Universal, but I think MGM had also been working on a script just in case they decided to not try to sell the rights back. And the scripts just, they just kept getting denied and denied for not being appropriate. Like there was one guy who wrote a script where they were going to insinuate that she was like a dominatrix because she was going to have a bunch of like chains and whips and stuff in her castle, even though you never saw her use them. And they're like, nah, I can't do that. Uh, that sounds sexy as hell. We should do it. There was a really funny story I read where the guy who ended up directing Showboat was supposed to direct this movie, but didn't want to. But the writer who was working on the scripts at the time didn't end up being the guy who wrote the final script. He kept getting his scripts denied. The director didn't want to direct so bad that he encouraged the writer to keep just like going further out with the script and making it worse and worse. So it just kept getting denied until they would let him leave. Oh my god. That's hilarious. I really want to do this idea, but they denied it. And he'd be like, just do it harder. They won't deny it again, right? Just do what Hitchcock did with Psycho. Just send it back unchanged. Like, well, it was you guys. It wasn't me. Yeah, Zaleska's a super interesting character. Unlike Dracula, who's just embraced being a vampire. It's just who he is. She doesn't like it. She views it as a curse as opposed to something she's like been turned into, something that she can overcome. With conversion therapy. Yeah, they have the funeral for Dracula where she like burns his body. She thinks it's going to free her. Like she's so excited when they go back to her, her house wherever she's staying. And she's just so excited with her manservant. She's like, Sander, I'm free. This is probably the funniest part in the movie for me when she's talking about like, oh, tonight's going to be different. It's going to be fine. And she's talking to Sander and is looking at him and goes, what do you see in my eyes? What do you see in my eyes? Death. Let's talk about Sander real quick. He is her manservant. He's kind of like a familiar. He's supposed to serve the same role that Renfield does in the first movie, but it's so different from Renfield. It's really interesting because he really is set, at least, you know, until the very end on protecting her and being there for her, but he also doesn't take any of her shit. Like, it's really interesting. And I wonder if it is partially because they're like, well, a man can't bow down to a woman. Yeah, like, you can't submit to a lady. What are you, a gay? I don't know, what? Yeah, I love Sandor. Um, They burn up Dracula's body. I found it really interesting that she ended up using a cross to, like, cast his spirit away. I assume that's because she didn't like him and was like, here, fuck off go to hell forever, right? I feel like she was doing just like an exorcism, basically, right? I hate you, dad. Why didn't the cross hurt her, though, if she's a vampire, too? She didn't look at it. I think they can touch it as long as they don't look at it. Oh, okay. Well, in the first movie, Dracula never touches one, but Mina, when she's in the process of being, like, transformed, has one in her hand and doesn't realize it looks at her and goes, oh, and she just, like, dramatically looks away from it. Oh, my God. Okay. She's excited. I'm free now. I'm going to play some music, some happy, happy music. So she's playing this song that she's like, yeah, my mother used to play this. It's so funny. Twilight, long shadows on the hillsides. Evil shadows. No, no, peaceful shadows. The flutter of wings in the treetops. The wings of bats. No, no, the wings of birds. From far off, the barking of a dog. Barking because there are wolves about. Silence. 
He loves evil so much. It's hilarious. I really like Sandor. He's funny. I do too. His character reminds me a lot. If you've ever seen either the show or the movie, What We Do in the Shadows, there's always a familiar character that is working for the vampire so they will gain eternal life. And the joke is that the vampire is always stringing them along and never going to give them eternal life. That's what this reminds me of. Because of course, Zaleska is never going to turn him into a vampire. She hates herself. Why would she turn him into one? I get it. She probably wants to like spare him that, but it also seems like he really wants to be a vampire. He loves evil. (laughs) Oh, same. You also love evil? Yeah, why not? Okay. Zaleska says that, you know, she's been cured, so she's not going to have the urge anymore. She's going to go out into the night and not feed, I guess, and that doesn't go very well. Does she have to go out? Why couldn't she have just stayed home, had a nice homemade meal instead? She wanted to go out because she thought she was cured of it. I don't, like, prove it to herself. I love her cloaky outfit. The movie A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night got that same kind of aesthetic, so I wonder if they got any inspiration from that. Well, I feel like that girl was just wearing a Nick job because she was like Muslim, right? Yeah. But the costume design could be similar because it, it does look very similar to that same one that um Zaleska's wearing. And the whole fact that this is one of like the first like female vampire movies. And she's pretty goddamn independent. Like she's got her Sandor servant, but... Yeah, she really didn't need him. But then the movie wouldn't have played out the way it does. Well, she probably needs him because I'm sure he's what helps her like move because she moves to London. Oh, yeah. He is basically just a butler. He's a very sassy butler. He reminds me like a sassy version of Lurch from the Adams family. That's what I was thinking the entire time. And I think it's also just the way he looks. Yeah. He's like, if you mix like Lurch and Igor together. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so she goes out to prove to herself that she doesn't need to eat anybody. She's wrong. She attacks a man and eats him. And then she goes home and she's like, I got blood on my cloak. Oh, she's so sad. And just climbs in her coffin and goes to bed. Yeah, she's so sad because she thought burning his body would end the curse. It doesn't. My guess is that... Because I think the only reason Mina doesn't complete her transformation is because she doesn't she doesn't have a chance to drink human blood. And that's kind of what happens in Fright Night, too, where they're able to kill the sire. Yeah, they do. They kill Jerry before, uh, what's her face? Yeah, Amy can completely transform, yeah. I should probably, like, read or watch Dracula at some point, any of the versions. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> I mean, listen, I've heard the um, Dracula book is pretty gay, and from looking <laughs> on the history of it, I agree. Without even reading it, just the backstory, gay as hell. I've read the Dracula book. I read it in high school and I really liked it. I like the way it was written because it's written in almost like journal format where you're reading like different people's journals. That sounds fun. Did you read how the book came to be? No, how did the book come to be? Bram Stoker and Oscar Wilde were basically like childhood friends. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, I do I need to say more? <laughs> yeah, so they're childhood friends. They were childhood friends. They grew up kind of competing with each other. They're, you know, both writers and they both apparently went after the same woman who Bram Stoker ended up marrying. So Oscar Wilde is arrested for lewd acts with a man, basically arrested for, like, being gay, basically. And I think he died a couple years later. But basically, a month after Oscar Wilde was arrested for doing gay shit, Bram Stoker started writing this novel because he 
I think was using the the vampirism as a metaphor for like being seduced and like these urges that he was actually having with his childhood friend. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it seemed more like the the competition between them was a kind of a sexual tension. It also makes sense because he he also based his book on Carmilla, right? Yes, that's what I've read basically every single time I've looked up anything about the Dracula book and even when they were just making the Carmilla web series they were always like yeah this was like the original vampire story this is what Dracula was based on and the the timelines do match because I think Carmilla came out like three years before Dracula maybe and there were obviously tons of gay undertones in that I just find it very interesting especially because with Carmilla and with Dracula that's kind of where this whole like sexy vampire trope has come from like vampires had rather than being representations from like lepers or people with like skin lesions and stuff it became like they're now erotic predators who are like uh, playing on fears of your like sexual desires and immoralities and stuff like that i think all of this is rooted in some gay shit that's super interesting Vampires have gone through like a weird progression because yeah, they are kind of like on the sexy side. They're enticing and then they go into like this monster phase and then you get Anne Rice like back in the 90s who like really brings the hot back. They're not only sexy, but they like everybody. They like girls, they like boys, they like everybody. Well, that's why I think vampires are such a good metaphor for what these people were trying to do with like the the immorality of being gay or whatever they were trying to put across because like oh on the outside they're so sexy and enticing but then like right below the surface they're evil and gross just like how we want you to think of gay people or sexual deviants i think the first dracula film one of the main themes is like the fear of the foreigner but it makes me wonder like what what is like the theme of this one the theme is lesbians bad i guess lesbian foreigners they're bad untrue they're coming over here to steal your women listen they can have all the women they want lesbians are the backbone of our society and i'm not afraid to say it did you read how they advertise this movie no how they leaned into like the lesbian overtones a lot in the advertising for this movie like i think the tagline for this movie was the women of london beware something like that oh i know what you're talking about because i saw it on one of the posters and i meant to write it down too but i was like that's super gay whatever they're trying to get across right now you're so gay we're in the 2000s when we just use that casually weird it's a weird time yeah that was weird Okay, I found it. It's on the original movie poster, and it just says, Dracula's daughter, she gives you that weird feeling. Like, so that feeling that, like, I'm gay now? There was another one, though, where it was, like, Woman of London, beware. Beware of what? She's super hot. Just make out with her. Well, I mean, the one lady that she maybe made out with, uh... She was fine. She lived. I I mean, she lived for a little while. Oh, wait, yeah, she did die, didn't she? Oh, here it is. It was Save the Woman of London from Dracula's Daughter. That is very specific. Like, why not just save London? We're gay! (laughs) Um... Yep. Yeah, so Zaleska's sad because killing her sire didn't destroy the vampirism curse. That's when you find out the man that she attacked, um, she didn't kill him. So that's interesting. He's still, I don't know if he ends up surviving at all, but he's like at the hospital. Yeah, she does not directly kill anyone. She tries really hard to not kill anybody. Unlike Dracula, who's just sucking people until he's happy. uh, Doing what? (laughs) Sounds 
Excuse me? Sorry. (laughs) She can't, like, control her vampirism. So the best she can do is not kill them immediately. And she's like, okay, this is good. And it's really interesting because later on, Van Helsing is trying to explain to Jeffrey why he's not crazy. They talk about hypnotism. And Jeffrey says that hypnotism is a form of anesthesia. And that's essentially what she's doing to all her victims before she eats them. Which is interesting. She's like, I don't want you to feel pain. Look at my ring. She's very considerate. I, I like her. Yeah, I like her until they. she's got that weird character change towards the end. I don't think that was her. I think that is the fault of the writers. Yep. It didn't make sense for her character at all. So we move from Zaleska to Jeffrey, who is our male lead. He is a psychiatrist. He is on holiday. He's going to shoot with a bunch of his guy friends because men, they like to shoot things. His sassy secretary drives up and is like, yo, you're needed back in town. He's like, how the hell did you find me? And she's like, why? Of course I know where you are. She's like, come on, Ben Helsing needs you. And she's like so sassy. I absolutely Love her. And she's hot as hell. Hot as hell. Hilarious. Sassy. Taking no shit from her boss. I love Janet. She's great. I want to marry her. I think we should all marry Janet. Every single person who worked on this movie is dead. I checked. Oh, that's sad. But I mean, it makes sense. It came out in 36 and all of those people were adults. So most of them died before we were even born. Just like, okay, so he hops in the car, they go back to London, he talks to Van Helsing, who is essentially like, vampires, ah, defend me. Both the commissioner and Jeffrey are trying to be like, you need to not talk about these vampires and stuff. You murdered this guy? And he's like, you can't murder a man who's been dead for five centuries. Does he ever actually say, yeah, I murdered that guy? I guess he does at the beginning, but he keeps phrasing it like that. He's like, you can't kill dead people. Like, you can't murder someone who's already dead. I guess. Semantics, man. Jeffrey says, I will help you out. You're my friend. It's time for a dinner party! Ooh fun. Whose house were they at? Um, they were at like a friend's house. Okay, because the vampire lady's just there like chilling. Yeah, she's new to town and they do talk about her before she shows up like, oh, there's a new artist in town. She's really good. Or actually, I think Jeffrey mocks the art and then Zaleska comes in. Oh yeah, and she's like, that's my painting. He's enamored. He's so entranced by her when she first walks in. There's a lot of fun callbacks too. They offer her wine. She goes, I never drink wine and dracula does that in the first movie so that's a fun callback they're just talking about van helsing and about how he's insane because he thinks vampires are real and it's really interesting that zaleska instead of like vampires they're not real but she's like well maybe this is like you never know isn't it in your best self-interest to convince people that you're not a vampire? She does that later, too, when Jeffrey comes over for dinner. Oh, with the mirrors? Yeah, he's like, it's weird, you don't have mirrors. And she's like, you know, they say vampires don't have reflections. <laughs> <laughs> like, she brings it up. She's like, yeah, yes. that's super weird, too, because vampires. And he's like, okay. I guess it is topical, though, because he's, like, defending or, like, trying to help his friend who keeps talking about vampires. So maybe she was like, oh, this would just be a funny thing to say. Yeah, yeah, so through the course of the conversation, conversation she finds out that jeffrey is a psychiatrist and he's like i'm gonna cure van helsing and she's like cure you can cure people that means you can cure me 
this is the beginning of her obsession with him. At some point, and I don't remember the context, but he uses the word release and her reaction is so weird. That's the thing that she keeps saying throughout the movie that I'm like, this is some sort of weird coded thing for her like being gay. She keeps talking about how bad she like needs a release. But he also does the analogy where he talks about people with addictions and then he uses alcoholism as like an example. So she wants released from being gay. That's what it seems like. Like she's ashamed of her feelings. It seems like a metaphor for that. Please cure me so I can stop acting on my gay urges. I mean, if there's one thing that this movie teaches us is that even if you kill your dad and then try to date some dude, you can't cure being gay. You're just going to be gay. It's fine. Chill out. Another reading you could have of the movie is maybe she views vampirism as a drug, but drug addictions not necessarily can be cured, but definitely like you can deal with them. I don't think vampirism is something that you can just stop. Listen, remember that General Hospital spinoff, Port Charles? They had that weird blue potion and it cured you from being a vampire. Also, in Buffy, didn't they have that ring? No. How did he become human for like a day in Angel? What happened? Oh, I don't remember. I don't either. It was a good episode, but I can't remember why. Maybe it was a genie. I don't know. That show was weird. The dinner party finishes. You get a quick scene between Jeffrey and Janet that more squabble. It's very funny. The tie tying. I think this is the first one where she like jokes about how like long it's taking him to tie his tie. And then she ties it poorly and walks away and it like falls off. And he's like, God damn it. Yeah, this was a point when I thought I'd seen the movie because I've definitely seen the tie tying scene where she like ties it crooked and walks away and he looks in the mirror and he's like, God damn it. And then we have the dinner scene between just Jeffrey and Zaleska. He mentions there are no mirrors. Sandor is like creeping in the corner without telling Telling him she's a vampire, she pretty much just says, like, I'm really struggling with something. Pretty much is hinting that she's probably some sort of addict, although he doesn't really understand because she's being pretty vague. This is what we do for alcoholics. What we do is we set them with a drink and we just ask them not to touch it so they can, like, face up to their, like, urges and overcome them. Because he pretty much just says, you have to be strong-willed or you'll never overcome it. Great advice. And she's like, this is great. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna challenge myself. She's got a really cool line, though, where she's like, can the dead influence the living or something like that? I really liked it. He leaves and Zaleska's like, all right, time to challenge myself. Sandor, we're going out. I need to go do some painting. She sends him to go find someone for her. This part's pretty weird. Yeah, so he retrieves this girl named Lily, who I think she's homeless. I don't know if she was going to jump off that bridge in the beginning. I'm pretty sure she was going to jump off a bridge and Sandor's like, come with me instead. And she's just like, okay. You can jump into my mistress's Uh, lap. Okay, what? So she goes back with creepy Sandor. This is uh, definitely the subtext scene for sure. This is the gayest the whole movie gets. If I sound disappointed, I am. Lily walks in. She's asked to take off her blouse. She's got like a cami or like a, what do they call it? A slip or something underneath. And she like lowers the straps. So, ooh, she's naked from the, the nips up. Is she? I thought it was just like she had her like brassiere on. and It definitely covers her yeah, chest. Yeah, she just like pulled the straps down. It's like her shoulders are bare. This girl is too trusting though. Like she almost, she walked right into this. If the master had been a man, she probably wouldn't have gone. But the fact that she's told that it's a woman, she walks in, she sees this woman. This woman offers her food, says, go stand by the fire, warm up. 
up, she probably feels at ease. She's like, it's another woman. Oh, that's true. And she does say, I felt really weird when like the guy was asking me to come over, but I feel better now that I see you. And I think it is kind of the point that like Lily was obviously vulnerable. So they're taking advantage of that too. The way that Zaleska like stares at her is just very erotic. Yeah, she wants to bang her. And she uses the ring in her eyes to like hypnotize her. Vampire ladies, they're stealing all our women. Oh, there's a line too that Lily says that are you looking at me that way? What I do? Yes, you do very well indeed. I was like, ooh, ooh spicy. <laughs> Oh, God. She's her type. But they do the whole thing where she leans in, and then you cut away and you hear a scream. Yeah, it's pretty underwhelming. I mean, it is funny that this got past the censors, though, because it's I feel like it's pretty spot on, though. Like, you know what they're trying to uh, get at. But I guess they don't show anything, and, and like she's punished for it at the end, so I guess it's fine. But she doesn't kill Lily. Lily is found taken to the hospital. Jeff points out right away like, oh, well, clearly she's hypnotized. And for whatever reason, he can't unhypnotize her. They're like, I guess we'll wait till later tonight to do it. I don't, I don't understand. She's put under Zaleska's trance and she's the only one who can bring her out of it. Either she has to bring her out of it or she has to die and she'll snap out of it. So yeah, they can't wake her up without her dying if they try to do it without Zaleska. Oh, because they kind of do it later and she does die. Yeah, Yeah, they do it later and she dies. And that's what happens with Janet. Uh, She says that she says like, I either have to wake her up or you have to kill me. Yeah, she should unhypnotize people when she's done eating them. Yeah. She doesn't want them to die. Or, well, maybe she doesn't want them to wake up and be like, hey, I'm going to the cops. Yeah, I guess that's true. Van Helsing is automatically like, there's a vampire on the loose. I know it. And he tells Jeff, like, all the signs to look for. And one of the things he does point out is a vampire wouldn't have any mirrors. And at this point, Jeff's like, hmm, I don't really believe in vampires. But Zaleska, she's seeming pretty suspicious. She doesn't have any mirrors in her house. And she pointed it out. And she pointed out the vampire thing. Hmm. Yeah, this lady is probably a vampire. She keeps talking about it. It's the whole thing that, like, what's, what's the joke? Like, whoever smelt it, dealt it. Is that what you're about to say? You're going to make a fart joke right now? <laughs> yes! Like, she's clearly pointing right. it out because she doesn't want people to think it's her narking on herself. Yeah, she was a little too obvious about it. We have the second really funny tie scene between Janet and Jeff. Very sassy about how I'm not going to tie your tie. You do know I'm the only one who can do it perfectly. And then this nurse comes in and he's like, I'm going to prove you're wrong. And he goes up to her and like, tie my tie. And she struggles. I felt so bad for this woman because Janet's just roasting him. It's like, you don't know how to tie a tie. You're an idiot. He's like, I've tied my tie since I was a kid. I can do it. He's like, oh shit, no I can't. Excuse me, nurse lady, please tie this. She's like, uh, I don't know how. Yeah, and I think she refuses to tie it. I could be wrong because she suspects that there's something going on with Zaleska. Yeah, where did this like jealousy from Janet come from? Because she's just been like goofing on him the whole time. And then we're supposed to believe that she's in love with him. I think it's because Zaleska is hot. I guess. She ties his tie perfectly and leaves, and he's like, oh, why didn't you do it right the first time? Wow, I'm in love with her now, because she's babying me, and I'm a big man-child. I love ties. I love ties. She knows not to iron silk ties. Oh, Hunter could have used a lesson from her. Yeah, so Zaleska shows up at the hospital, and, like, Zaleska comes in. He's like, I don't have time. I got stuff to do. And she's like, you have to help me, or, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave London tonight. He's like, okay, I'll hypnotize you. And she's like, I don't think you should do that. 
But then she's like, you should come with me. And he's like, what? She's like, leave London with me, please. Yeah, and the reason that she does not want to hypnotize is because of the device they have used as a bunch of mirrors. Uh... So I think he also suggested that so that she would freak out, admit that she was a vampire. Yeah, it's like in Fright Night when they're like, Jerry, drink this holy water to prove you're not a vampire. This is the moment where Zaleska's character changes from being... She's very sympathetic up to this point, but now she gets scorned by a man and she's like, huh, nah, he says he's not going to come with me. He's going to fucking come with me. She's like, I'm going to kidnap his secretary, who I know he likes, but doesn't realize it. I'm going to make him follow me to Transylvania. So, and that's essentially what she does. She becomes very spiteful, just out of nowhere. And I would understand this as an act of desperation, but the way it comes across in the movie is just that now she's pure evil. Is the main reason because she knows Lily is at the hospital and that they're going to unhypnotize her? So she's afraid that Lily's going to give her away and she knows she's going to have to leave? That would make sense. It's just the way... Or Van Helsing knows she's a vampire, so she's like, I gotta fucking go. Well, and whatever reason, like I said, like if it came off more as desperation and not spite, it would work. Yeah, you're right. It's just such a weird flip. Like there's no gray area anymore it's just she is evil and it doesn't matter and i understand her not wanting to be ratted out they don't do this part well they're like we need to get them to transylvania fandor and zaleska kidnap janet jeffrey goes and talks to lily he's able to unhypnotize and essentially gets out of lily she remembers a ring a lady and like posing for art and then she dies. Which all points back to Zaleska. Jeff realizes right away that he was like, Zaleska was acting weird. He knows Zaleska's ring. It's pretty notable. She always wears it. So he suspects her right away. The thing I love about this the most, because she has the same symptoms as the guy that Zaleska attacked earlier in the movie. So they know there's someone doing it. Like it's a serial killer probably. He just goes, I think I know where to find the one who's responsible and just leaves and goes by himself. Like he doesn't call the cops. He's just like, I know who's attacking these people. I'm going to go figure it out myself. I'm a psychiatrist. Playing the pronoun game. Like I know who did it, but I won't say who or their gender or their name because I don't want anyone to use to follow me. It's just funny because I feel like if this were a real situation, you would, especially since he ends up calling the commissioner as soon as he finds the studio, but this would be the time to go, hey, I know what's going on. Zaleska might be the one responsible. I mean, because all this stuff started happening when she came to town. Okay, if you phrased it like that, I think that he could have gotten away with telling the other people, but maybe he's afraid that it would be another Van Helsing situation where if he does say what he thinks is going on, that they'll be like, oh, he's crazy too. Vampires aren't real. But I don't necessarily think he would even need to say a vampire. He could say, I've already suspected Zaleska. I've been to her house. Something seems weird. She seems off. Plus, she's a very notable artist in town who has people come and pose for her. Very notable for her ring. Like, I think we should investigate her. This is a lead you should take. Yeah, honestly, why didn't he say all of this? Because it wouldn't change the ending at all. He would have gone with them still. White men just want to be the saviors. Well, I think that's another problem as we got this white man savior who thinks he can cure this lady's lesbianism. Jeffrey essentially tracks down the studio. He informs the commissioner Humphrey what's going on so that he will grab Van Helsing and they'll like meet him there, I guess. I love there's a part before this when they're all talking about the vampires with Van Helsing and they're talking about it as if it's real. And then they're like, oh, you got me talking crazy now. He's just so convincing. He really is. It's because he's so calm about all of it. 
Jeffrey goes into the studio. Uh, Zalaska's there. She's like, I kidnapped Janet. He's like, no, you didn't. She's like, yes, I did. He makes a phone call to prove it. And he's like, God damn it. She disappears. Commissioner and Van Helsing show up like just like a minute too late. He tells them what's happening. The police try to help. They put out a missing bulletin for Janet. But the next thing we know is that Jeffrey decided he's going to Transylvania. So he flies away. And then Van Helsing and the commissioner go, God damn it. And so they fly after Jeffrey to go to Transylvania. Yeah, they get to Transylvania. I feel really bad for the people who live in this town because they all know about vampires and like they're having like a wedding or something and they hear the wolf like howl and they see the lights of the castle and they all panic. I would think the same thing because they have no like way of knowing that he's dead. Jeffrey gets there first and then he goes up to the castle. Van Helsing and the commissioner arrive like right behind him and then they head up to the castle too. I like that Jeffrey's just like, hey, I'll pay someone five bucks to like drive me as close to the castle as you're willing to get. And they're like, five bucks. All right. Five bucks? Hell yeah. You know what that reminds me of? Pumpkinhead. Yeah, Pumpkinhead. And the little boy's like, I'll drive you pretty close to there. Sandor is very confused. He's like, I don't understand like why you're so obsessed with this man. And she's like, because we're going to live together forever. I'm going to make him trade his life for hers. I'll set her free as long as he says he'll stay here forever with me, like in Beauty and the Beast. Sandor is mad because she's just pretty much just said, I want this man to have eternal life. And you can tell Sandor is pissed. He's like, oh, I don't get the eternal life. Okay. He walks off. He's mad. And then Jeffrey arrives. Did she ever say that they can't both have eternal life? Or was he just mad because he wanted her all to himself once he does become a vampire? My guess is Sandor has been waiting a really long time to be turned. So the idea that she met this guy a week ago and she's already going to turn him probably really pisses him off because they still need a manservant. So she's probably not going to turn him. That would piss me off too, honestly. If I've been waiting around for centuries, like, hey, I've been friend zoned for this long, and now you're just gonna sire some ugly, bug eyed man. So he's a disgruntled worker. That'll come back around to bite her in the butt. Yeah, you have a nice erotic moment between Zaleska and Janet, where Janet is like passed out, you know, hypnotized, and Zaleska's like hovering over her, like she wants to like make out with her. That's how the movie should have ended. Fuck the laws, fuck the Hays Code. They would have been the hottest power couple I've ever seen. Two hot vampire ladies? Hell yeah. So Jeff shows up. He stops the kiss from happening. Zaleska tells him what's up. You stay here forever and I'll let her go because the only way she'll be free is if I unhypnotize her or I die. Wink, wink. What could possibly happen next? Sandor comes back. He's pissed. Shoots Zaleska with an arrow. Okay. Tries to shoot Jeff, but luckily this is when Van Helsing and the commissioner come in and they kill him. And yeah, that's that's kind of how the movie ends. Janet wakes up and she and Jeff hug and... The last lines of the movie are the commissioner Humphrey says, the woman is beautiful. And then Van Helsing goes, she was beautiful when she died a hundred years ago. And then the movie ends. (laughs) (gasps) What a reveal. I've known she was a vampire the entire time, so it wasn't really a, a great dramatic reveal for me. Also, my absolute last note is just Janet's awake. Why is she in love with Jeff? Oh, I think it was very clear from I don't get their it. first tie interaction that I'm like, oh, okay. I, I even wrote it in my notes. I'm like, clearly these two are going to be together at the end of the movie. I know that they make a point of it in the movie, but my question is why? What's so great about Jeff that every woman in this movie is obsessed with him? I mean, he's gotta have money. He's a psychiatrist. I guess. 
It's not worth it. Everybody loves someone they have to take care of, right? I have a savior complex, so I, by default, have to answer yes. Yeah, that's the end. It does end really abruptly. Yeah, it's just over. They had plenty of time. It's only 70 minutes. They could have at least given me one little quick wrap-up scene. Is there a movie following this one, or is this it? I think there's also a Son of Dracula. Because we really never get a wrap-up for the Van Helsing stuff. Like, I assume now that they have all witnessed that this was a vampire, or I assume that they know she's a vampire now, that they'll have to believe him. But how did they prove that? Because now it just looks like some guy shot her with an arrow and now they're all crazy. She didn't, like, turn into dust or anything. Yeah, but I guess they could say that, like, the crazy man shot at her and that's why they shot him, so. Yeah, but that still doesn't get Van Helsing off the hook, which was, like, the doorway for this movie to exist, was, like, we're starting with him, he's gonna have to go to trial. Van Helsing should not have been in the movie. They could have wrapped this up within the first five minutes and we could have moved on. You want to jump into ratings real fast? Yeah, let's do ratings. So general rating, one to five. Riley, how did you like it? Oof. I had a hard time with this after I had watched it too. I think I'm going to give it a 2.5. I'm going to just go right down the middle. Like I was underwhelmed, but I don't regret watching it. It gave us a lot to talk about, but I had several issues and I think a lot could have been changed to make this a more coherent movie. Yeah. And I think it is also like a product of its time for sure. Like filmmaking has just changed so much. I think we're about the same though. I gave this movie a six. I could see myself going back and rewatching this as like someone who loves film. It's shot really well, and I I do like Zaleska as a character. I think she's pretty interesting. But there are some things with just the way movies have changed that, like, I could go back and, like, skip through, just watch Zaleska's scenes, and I would be happy. And you'd watch a whole ten minutes of the film. That, I think, is my main complaint, is that a movie titled Dracula's Daughter should have more of the title character in it. I think the problem is it focuses a lot on Jeff because he's supposed to be like her romantic love interest in a way. Yeah, it just seems to kind of take focus away from her a little bit. Just fine, but like, I don't know. I wish it would have just been Janet. I wish Janet had been the focus, but I get it. It's the Hayes Code. They couldn't have done that. I know. Janet should have been the romantic lead. They should have ended up together at the end being hot vampire babes. But whatever, I'll just rewrite an adaptation and I'll make it how I want. I guess that's just me writing fan fiction. Yeah, and it kind of takes the agency away from your lead character, which I guess would be Jeff in this case, when he's not the one killing her, so to speak. He pretty much just accepts like, yeah, you know, I'll stay here. And then she just kind of dies because she pissed off her manservant. That could have been another conversation about like capitalism and like labor uh, manipulation and like people being like, oh yeah, you're going to get promoted but then bringing someone in from the outside and like making them that position instead like there's a whole other conversation that could be tied into this movie if they'd have kind of fleshed out that plot line more and i feel like the reason they had sandor kill her was because they did make her slightly sympathetic so i think they didn't want jeff to come off as an asshole to be the one to kill her so i think that's why sandor was the one who shot and killed her i wonder because the only reason she dies is because of the 
Hayes Code is because she, you know, barrier gays trope. I wonder if they had not put these rules in place, what would have actually happened at the end of this film? I mean, I don't mind her being dead at the end of the film as long as, like, you have this really big, like, sad dramatic scene, like, leading up to the stabbing. It could have been something very bittersweet where she had redeemed herself by the end, but no one knew that, or Sandra was the only one who knew that, and then she dies anyway. Or it could be like that episode of Angel (gasps) where Darla stabs herself. That would have actually made more sense for her character because she hates being a vampire. So in the The one you were clowning on so hard the other night. Well, because of the visuals. You were laughing so much. The visuals are really, (laughs) really dumb. The visuals of the full grown month old baby in the ashes. That's what got me. I remember watching that episode and crying. It would have made much more sense for her character that maybe she does do all the stuff she does, but then she realizes as like, Jeff cries over Janet that she's doing something really terrible and she can't stop herself so she kills herself and like she doesn't want to harm these people yeah so she's like I have to die to accept that I'm a good person but I don't want to keep hurting people so the only way to solve this is to disappear or something stake myself in the heart Ugh, I think they could have done a lot of things that would have been a lot more effective at the end of this film but the ending is just so abrupt and so it's silly The end of Dracula is literally the same, though. It ends super abruptly. The entire thing, it reminds me of a play. Like, even in a play, I think this would have worked better because we could have, like, oh, she's dead, we don't need anything to wrap up. It's just very, like, jarring, and then the lights and, like, curtains come up. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. That would have made more sense, but it it is. It's just the pacing in this is weird, and these kind of films were new. Yes, it is 36, but, you know, they've only started doing what talkies have only been around since, what, 25? Films had only just started in, like, the first decade of the the 1900s. They're very close to theater. They're a lot closer to theater than what I feel movies are now. Well, in that, you can even see that in the opening credits scene, because they're all listed as the players, rather than, like, you know, just showing, like, the, the actors' names. Oh, yeah. Should we do a, a horror struck rating? Yeah, mine's a one. Oh, a one? What'd you... It's like gothic horror, and gothic horror doesn't scare me, so... What'd you give it one point for? Because I feel like as long as it's a horror movie, it gets a point. Because for me, if you give it a zero, it's like it's not a horror movie. So one, because it does have a lot of really good gothic horror elements. Listen, my horror struck interpretation is that this is how much it scares me on a scale from one to ten. Because I am the designated scaredy cat here. And I gave it a zero. You can say zero. It didn't scare me at all. I'm going to give it a one. Homophobia is scary. (laughs) There you go. There we go. I got there. As long as it's a horror movie, I'm going to at least give it a one. If it's not a horror movie like Swallow, I'm going to give it a zero. All right. That's fair. Because if I had been doing that the whole time, there's probably a lot of movies on on the list I would have given a zero to. Well, I can't believe now we have to go back and review every single movie we've already done. (laughs) Uh, So, Riley, do you want to play a game? Do you want to play a game? <laughs> um, <laughs> I need to drink the rest of this wine before we do. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'll play a game. So Michael Michael came up with the name of this game, What They Do in the Shadows. Mm, okay. The premise of the game is I am going to list a vampire power, and I need you to tell me what vampire franchise or character it is. 
Oh no. Oh, how many vampire things do I know? All right, let's do it. There are two or three on here that I think could probably fall into other vampire franchises, but I did try to pick things that I think that you know. Okay. I didn't pick something like weird and like off the beaten path. The first one is the ability to become incorporeal, so to be able to walk through walls, doors. Oh, I didn't know it was a vampire thing. I assumed just like a ghost thing. It's from a book. It's from a book? Is it Interview with a Vampire? No. Okay, because I've never read that, so I don't know what they can and cannot do. How many guesses do I get? Uh, I'm going to say three. Do I know three vampire books? It's a, a book you read fairly recently, that we both read fairly recently. Oh, is it the the Southern Vampire, or that's not what it's called, Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying? It's not. It's a sh- I guess it's a short, it's like a novella. Is it Carmilla? Yes! It is. Does she walk through a wall? What's her name like wakes up and like sees her in her room and she like walks out but the door is like still locked. I just completely forgot because I was so underwhelmed by the book that I think I put it out of my head that I haven't even read it. All right, well, I'm off to a great start. Subjective precognition. That's Twilight. It's Alice. It is Twilight, yes. (laughs) That one's so specific to Alice. That was too easy. The ability to control animals such as rats, bats, and wolves. Ability to control animals. Not turn into, but control them. I guess he can also transform too. Isn't that everything? They all can. All of them. It's very specific to the movie we reviewed. Is it Dracula? Yes! Very good! It is Dracula! Whoa! The ability to sparkle in the sun. That's Twilight. All of them. They're sexy and made of diamonds, I guess. The ability to time travel. I'm not sure if you'll get this one. Time travel? To time travel. Doctor Who. He's a vampire. It's both TV and a movie. TV and a movie about vampires. I don't know if they use this ability in the movie. Is it like a modern TV show? Is it Dark Shadows? Yes! Very good! It is! It is? It is! Whoa! (laughs) That was a really good guess. To turn milk into chocolate. Excuse me? That's the Bible. (laughs) Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) To turn milk? It's a well-known vampire character. That is not Dracula. That is not Dracula. They might be considered a parody of Dracula. Is it Blackula? (laughs) No. By Eddie Murphy? No. Um, It is specifically a character. Uh, This character does not have a movie or a book or anything. What? Then what's he from? The hell does that mean? I have no idea. It might have to do with breakfast. Oh my god. Is Count Chocula? Groovy. <laughs> it is Count Chocula. Why doesn't he have a movie? Why are we not giving, like, cartoon serial mascots movies? Outcome manipulation. Outcome manipulation. That sounds like another Twilight thing, but is it? Yes! Very you're right, Twilight, ding ding! Who's is that? Is it Aro? It's Sabhan? 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 I don't know who that is. Well, maybe it's one of the, the ones from, like, Breaking Dawn, who, like, they introduce all of them at once. The preternatural counting ability. Huh? The ability to do math, basically? Is that, like, count cards? It's Rain Man. Is he a vampire? The ability to count really well. Oh my god. The count from Sesame Street? Groovy. Okay, you worded that so weird that I was like, this is such a strange power. 
The ability to hang from the ceiling. That's all of them. In particular, I might be thinking of a kid's movie. A kid's movie about vampires? I don't know. Is it The Lost Boys? I've never seen that. I don't know if that's really a kid's movie. It's like a teenager movie. Is it that one with Jonathan Lisnicki? I don't know the name of it. Yes! Very good. Oh, it's called The Little Vampire, and yes it is. Is it? I've never seen that either. I just know the cover of it. The ability to turn off their humanity like a light switch. Turn off humanity like a light switch. I don't know if you'll know this one, because I don't think you've seen this, but it's from a recent vampire thing. A recent vampire show. A recent vampire show. Oh no, I'm so behind on shows. It might have been on the CW. Is it from the Vampire Diaries? It is! There's a big point in the Vampire Diaries that if you are a vampire, you can either keep your humanity on or you can turn it off. What's the point? The point is that if you have your humanity, you have more control over yourself so you don't hurt other humans unless you really want to, whereas you become a, a terrible, terrible monster who eats lots and lots of people. So it'd be the difference between Angel being Angel or Angelus. That's a good way to put it. Like how the end of season, or at the beginning of season seven, when Spike had to go through all those tests and stuff to like get his soul back. They have to do shit like that. Yeah. Your blood is the equivalent of a drug for humans. Mm, drug blood. That sounds familiar. Have I seen this? We've talked about it. We've talked about it. It is set in the a South. Southern. It's a TV show. Vampire show. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's True Blood. I know this. Yes. Very good. I've seen the first episode, and it was really dumb. <laughs> uh... Perfect memory. So once you're turned into a vampire, you have perfect memory. Ooh, that's a nice power. Um, It's a pretty well-known book series written by a female author. Okay, so that's Anne Rice, right? So yeah, if you're a vampire in Anne Rice's world, as soon as you become a vampire, you have perfect memory for everything that happens to you as a vampire. Do I lose my memories as a human? I think they're not as perfect. You don't necessarily lose them, but they're not as like crystal clear. Okay, that's neat. Relationship identification. That just sounds like more Twilight crap. Yes, very good. It is. Marcus has the ability to sense relationships between people. That's just like intuition. His power sucks. Last but not least, from one of my favorite vampires, to have the ability to create illusions of burning pain. Create illusions of burning pain. Wait, hold on. Is this Twilight again? Is this Dakota Fanning? It is! I didn't realize they were illusions. She's just convincing your mind you're on fire, but you're not. Well, the only reason that I know it's specifically that is because the only line that they give Dakota Fanning in Breaking Dawn Part 2 is she just says, pain. Because they, I guess, <laughs> couldn't afford to pay her more? I have no idea. Ooh, all right. Shall we talk about what we're going to be watching next week? Yeah. The new Conjuring movie comes out June 4th. And since it is going to be day and date release for both theaters and HBO Max, Riley and I are going to watch it together. And we're going to do a new movie review for it. 
So it'll be fun. And, you know, we've seen the first Conjuring together. We've seen the first and second one together. Yeah, we're going to watch this third one together. I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be good. This one looks really, really good. I'm very excited for Conjuring 3. Wow, I never thought I'd say that. I've come so far. There's a tagline in the in the trailer that both makes me laugh and go, he's got a point. And that's Ed Warren going, well, if the courts recognize there's a god, why shouldn't they recognize there's also a devil? And I'm like, that's a hope line I've ever heard, but that is also correct. He's got a point though. He's right. He's got a good point. It's like in the original um, Miracle on 34th Street where he puts like a dollar bill in the in something and then he circles in God we trust. He's like, they're right. If they, we believe in a God, we should believe in Santa Claus. I've never seen those movies, so I have no idea. But I feel like God and Santa Claus are not. Is he comparing Santa to the devil? Oh no. I could be mixing them up. There's one version where it's the they circle the thing on the dollar bill and they give it to the judge to prove that like if the government believes in something that they can't prove, like there's no way you can't prove he's not Santa. There's another version where they get him off because the post office thinks it's funny that Santa is like on trial and they have all these letters to Santa they don't know what to do with, so they just send them to the courthouse. Like, hey, post office is part of the government. These all go to Santa. And they're like, well, if the government thinks that he's Santa. I can't dispute that. I'll have to watch this. Do you know much about the case that they're covering in this third movie? Um, I know about Ronnie DeFeo, which I assume it's going to be pretty similar. I think this guy in The Conjuring 3, though, is the first time that they use the the possession thing as a defense, which is what they also tried to use in the DeFeo case. Like, I was possessed, that's why I killed my family. Is that what this is about? Yeah, it's about the guy who first used demonic possession as a excuse for murder. I don't know how I feel about that. I've researched the case before. I didn't know the Warrens were involved at all. They called them in as like specialists to like testify. That's pretty interesting. I'm excited to see how they handle this, but I think it's interesting as well because like that still could just be a mental illness thing where this man genuinely thought that he was possessed. And it was like a case of DID or something where it was just an alternate personality who had done these things. I don't know. I think it's all very interesting. I'm still very skeptical about the existence of like demons and ghosts and shit. But I think it'll be a really fun movie. It looks great. I love the Warrens. I love the Warrens. Even if they are full of shit, I love them. Yeah, I love them. They're great. And I love how they're portrayed in the movies. They're like the perfect couple. They're very sweet. And even just going back and watching interviews, like that is how they were in real life. So they're not even just being extra cheesy for the movies. They loved each other so much. It was so sweet. Can I just say that if I were religious, I think The Conjuring 3 would scare the shit out of me because the thought that if you really do believe in devils, that someone could possess you and then commit murder while they're in your body and you go to jail forever. Like, that's terrifying. That's very upsetting. Well, even as a non-religious person, just the trailer, like the part specifically where um, Julian Hilliard, like the little boy's character, is on that waterbed and you see the demon face, like, surface. Yeah. It's so creepy. Or when Lorraine's at the edge of the cliff and the hand comes and pulls her. Oh, it looks really good. It's like, oh. ah! I'm excited. The second one was, it was okay, but this one looks really good. First one was a lot tighter. I agree. Than the second one was. Yeah, I hope the the crooked man doesn't come back because that was so pointless. It was creepy, but it was pointless. It was just another way to introduce a new, like, spinoff character. I think even if this third movie isn't, yeah, it's like the second one where it's like, maybe not as good as the first one. It'll still be fun. I don't expect to not have fun, so I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be a good time. 
All right, horror fans, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Horrorstruck. If you want to hear more from us, you can head on over to Twitter and Instagram where we are at HorrorstruckPod. Or you can check us out on Facebook at Horrorstruck Podcast. If you have any movie recommendations, you can go ahead and tweet those at us and give it your very own Horrorstruck rating. Until next time, horror fans, remember, stay spooky. Goodbye! Goodbye. Welcome to Horror Strike.